A few years back, my friend Justin Warner from Food Network moved out to South Dakota. He opened a ramen joint, and he is always posting pictures of all the great food he's not only cooking, but eating all over South Dakota. He's always telling me to come visit. And you know, one of the best ways to experience a new place is to eat your way through it. But it's equally important to live your way through it, too. And when you summer in South Dakota, you can fill up on all the lake days, hikes, rides, and small-town strolls that'll leave you with a regained sense of wonder and a hunger to do it all over again. See why there's so much South Dakota, so little time at Travel South Dakota. This is a Global Tell Link prepaid call from Heather Coleman. Why, why not eat the whole sandwich? And this was not about food whatsoever. This was about sex. It all accommodated with me going slightly insane. This is The Sporkful. It's not for foodies, it's for eaters. I'm Dan Pashman. Each week on our show, we obsess about food to learn more about people. These days, true crime is all the rage in podcasting. You can't pick up an earbud without hearing about a corpse somewhere. On The Sporkful, we were ahead of this trend. In 2015, we pioneered the field of true food crime podcasting. This was back when the show was made at WNYC by producer Ann Sani and me. We're replaying it now in the hopes of claiming our rightful place at the top of the true crime podcasting charts. Enjoy. For the last month, I've spent every working day trying to figure out where a third of a sandwich went one fall day in 2001. Or, if you want to get technical about it, and apparently I do, where a third of a six-inch sub at a call center in Elkhart, Indiana went one fall day in 2001. The search sometimes feels undignified on my part. I've had to ask about teenagers' sex lives. Where? How often? With whom? Didn't have anything to do with a sandwich. I was just curious. Before I get into why I've been doing this, I just want to point out something I never really thought about before I started working on this story. And that is, it's really hard to account for your meals. In a detailed way, I mean. What did you have for lunch last Wednesday? Soup? Salad? Sandwich? Was the bread soggy? Are you sure? The entire day, name every single thing you ate. It's hard. Here's the case I've been working on. I totally remember the very first time that I noticed my food was missing. And that was... A Schlotzky's personal pizza. This is Heather Coleman. Right off the bat, I want you to know that the story she's about to tell is a true story. Seriously, it's a true story. In the fall of 2001, she was working at a call center in Elkhart, Indiana. She worked long shifts, so she'd often buy a big meal for lunch, eat half, and put the rest in the office fridge for dinner. So my dinner shift comes up. I'm looking forward to this pizza, of all things. I open it, and one slice is missing. Just one. Heather wrote it off. Lots of people in the office ordered from Schlotzky's. Maybe it was an honest mistake. Turned out, it was just the beginning. The six-inch sub. That's the one that nailed it. It was pretty obvious when a six-inch sub that was definitely six inches, when you open it up and there's only four inches left. And I was just like, what the heck is going on? What kind of sandwich was it? Um, I believe it was a club sandwich. Yeah, the mayo, the mustard, all the good stuff. It had bacon on it? It wouldn't be a proper sandwich if it didn't have bacon on it. What about cheese? you cheese on the club sandwich person or no cheese? I am one of those people who do believe that cheese does make everything better. That's a fact. Inarguable. Heather tried to fight back. She left threatening notes. It didn't help. She hid her food behind the salad dressing. The thief still found it. She even put a sandwich in Tupperware and wrapped the whole container in duct tape. The thief cut through the duct tape. And each time, 
only to take a piece of the food, not the whole thing. That's the part I can't figure out. It's one of the things about this case that kind of bobs above the water for me, like a disturbing buoy. God. Uh, it, it's even hard to even talk about it today. It hurts that much. Sitting in my cubicle, unwrapping it, thinking, okay, you know, like I, I totally outsmarted my food thief. I am so genius. So I open it, I look at it, same freaking thing. One third gone. And I just sat there looking at that ridiculous sandwich, and I felt like a loser. And did you eat the sandwich? No, no, that's, that, that's, I don't know what's wrong with you. You don't eat that sandwich. It was only touched by a knife. It wasn't touched but, by But it, it wasn't a mouth. cut perfectly. So, you know, there were hands all over it. My bread was, my bread was manipulated and molested. I couldn't eat that. Heather went to a woman named Cheryl in HR and broke down crying in front of her. Cheryl didn't seem all that concerned. She put a note up on the office fridge reminding people not to eat other people's food, but it didn't help. The thefts continued on and off for months. Eventually, Heather stopped putting stuff in the fridge altogether. She only ate non-perishable food she could keep at her desk, things like canned beef stew. Yeah, I know. Brutal. We spent a lot of time trying to figure out if Heather was being targeted singled out. She says she didn't know for sure whether there were others. She does say there seemed to be better food in the fridge that wasn't getting stolen, things like homemade mac and cheese. Heather casually asked other people around the office if their food had been taken, but nobody spoke up. She says she didn't want to make a big deal of it. It was her first real office job out of college. She already felt like she stuck out because she's Asian in a very white town. She didn't want to rock the boat. But more than anything, she didn't speak up because she felt ashamed. I couldn't even protect my own sandwich. I mean, what type of person can't protect their own sandwich? And I couldn't. No matter what I did, I could not outsmart that thief. You know, who, who do I go to? There is no crisis hotline for office food thievery. Food is so personal. Like, for example, if someone used up, like, all my Kleenex or all my Post-its, I would just go get another one and it would be no big deal. But the touching of my food... I really felt violated. And that's when I started eating. And so the starvation, the violation, the anger, it all accommodated with me going slightly insane. Really, really insane. I wanted to put together a list of suspects. And for that, I thought I needed to understand this food thief a little better. I reached out to Baron Ambrosia, culinary ambassador to the Bronx and host of the cooking channel show, The Culinary Adventures of Baron Ambrosia. Baron himself is an admitted food thief. In one episode of his show, he ends up in a pull-up contest with rap legend Melly Mel after swiping two pies from a neighbor. I filled him in on Heather's situation and asked him for his take on the culprit. This is not a crime of hunger. I was caught stealing a pie once, as you well know, and, but I took the whole pie, and I ate the whole pie. Never once would I, would I take a portion of something. You know, and, and the things that I would steal, most of the time would be outrageously delicious. What you're telling me here, a sandwich. What's it, a tuna sandwich? A turkey club. A turkey club. Okay. We know what a turkey club tastes like. So you don't think that it's a crime of hunger? It's not a crime of culinary curiosity? It's not like I must try <laughs> this amazing food? No. So, no. so what do you think no, it is? No, I mean, it's, it's none of these things. If, if you look at all the facts, 
This is mediocre food. This person was very controlled. This person was very methodical. And this was not about food whatsoever. This was about sex. This is about intimacy. This, th this person, what they're doing is, is literally like two steps above sniffing someone's chair. This is not, oh, oh, I'm, I want a little sack and I feel a sense of entitlement and I'm going to come in here and be the, you know, the, the, the sandwich bully. It's not that. It's, it's, it's certainly, it's fetishistic. This is absolutely fetishistic. From there, I went back to Heather to get her thoughts on potential suspects. So in my head, I was thinking like one or two of the guys that I knew there that were, you know, just out of college as well. And they ate like pigs and ate a lot. So I just assumed it was one of the dudes. But they would have eaten the whole thing. I mean, I, ugh, even now, I cannot believe that somebody eats. I, why, why not eat the whole sandwich? Right. The, ho the whole thing just feels very calculating. Yes. I asked Heather, does Cheryl from HR fit the profile? Should she be on the list of suspects? The thing is, at the time, I totally didn't think so because Cheryl was really kind. And the way her office was positioned, she'd have to come down the stairs, which had been close to my desk. And so I would have spotted her. So logic tells me it couldn't be Cheryl. Well, let's not dismiss her quite so quickly. We 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 got to pad this story out a little bit longer, Heather. So so we have Cheryl, the HR woman. Well, she does have opportunity. Okay, right, and she has some authority. Yes, and she was dismissive of my complaint of my right food violation, which is questionable. We have the frat boys who are yes. hungry and uh, probably selfish. Exactly. Next possibility is Heather has gone insane and is stealing her own food and doesn't realize it. Exactly. Then is there anyone else? And let's continue to look through suspects. Um, mm -hmm. Is there, let's say, let's call him a uh, Mr. McGuffin. Well, there is a person that could be Mr. McGuffin. Okay, who's that? It was my direct supervisor at the time. Heather says Mr. McGuffin was a middle-aged guy who was kind of bitter about his job. Meanwhile, she's this kid right out of college who keeps getting promoted. She's about to leapfrog him on the corporate ladder. She says there was tension between them as a result. That sounds to me like a motive. And she says there were other clues. The fact that his lunch was always after mine. I, I was looking at people's lunch schedules for a while. Being in a call center, every minute of your time is logged. That's right. There were call logs. Mr. McGuffin made calls at 321 to Jen, 332 to Nisha, 342 to a dude named Phil, and 359 to Patrick. There are three calls on the call log around this time that all ping towers near Kathy's apartment, 607, 609, and 624. The first two calls are for a little less than a minute. The third call is the longest, 4 minutes, 15 seconds. Are you following all of this? Then there's some stray things about Mr. McGuffin that, eh, I don't know what they mean, or if they mean much of anything. But I'm going to tell you about them in case. Worst comes to worst, we fill another 20 seconds of the show. Here goes. Number one. When he was 12, Mr. McGuffin may or may not have lied to one of his teachers. Number two. Mr. McGuffin sometimes goes streaking in the woods. And number three. Mr. McGuffin's favorite food is red herring. Coming up on The Sporkful. I mean, it seems like, yeah, it could be done, but it seems far-fetched. So I just wonder where her little perspective of reality is sometimes. I lost it. I, I had no way of holding back this, like, burrito anger I had running through my veins. 
And now, a delicious word from our sponsors. Whether you're a family vacation traveler, a business tripper, or a long weekend adventurer, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. They've got over 7,000 locations and 22 brands, including Comfort Hotels, Radisson Hotels, and Cambria Hotels, and you will get the best value for your money when you book with Choice Hotels. I especially love those Cambria Hotels. They have locally inspired hotel bars with all kinds of specialty cocktails, downtown locations right in the center of all the action. Radisson Hotels have flexible workspaces. That way, if you're a business traveler, you'll be able to get all your work done. On-site restaurants, fantastic. And then at Comfort Hotels, you'll enjoy free hot breakfast with fresh waffles and great pools for the whole family and spacious rooms. I mean, if you have kids, you understand the importance of the pool. If you stay at a hotel with a pool, almost nothing else matters. Fortunately, all the choice hotels take care of all the other stuff too. But I mean, a pool is a great start. Whatever kind of vacation you're going on, whatever kind of travel you're doing, Choice Hotels has a stay for any you. Book direct at choicehotels.com where travels come true. I enjoy a nice glass of wine, but I don't pretend to be an expert in wine. I usually just want a wine that's high quality, delicious, and not too expensive. And to me, that's Bogle Family Vineyards. And here's the thing about Bogle. This is a third-generation family-owned winery from California that makes exceptional wines for about 10 bucks a bottle. Bogle wines consistently earn best buy designations and high ratings from wine enthusiasts. And let me tell you something. The folks at Wine Enthusiast they drink a lot of wine. They drink a lot of fancy, expensive wine. And yet they still keep giving great ratings to Bogle. And Bogle Vineyard says so many different kinds of wine. Whatever your mood, whatever you're eating, there's a wine for you. They got this great Pinot Grigio that's crisp and fruity, goes well with spicy foods, with fish. They have a classic Chardonnay that's balanced, amazing, with a pork tenderloin or butter chicken. I like to take that Chardonnay and do what Jacques Pepin taught me, a couple of ice cubes in your glass of Bogle. If Jacques Pepin says it's okay, then it's okay. And there's the Bogle Pinot Noir, refined and elegant with bright fruit and about as food-friendly as a red wine can be. You're not going to believe it's only $10. Neither will your friends if you tell them. So pick up a few bottles of Bogle wherever you buy your favorite wines. Please drink responsibly. Are you ready for warmer weather? I know I am. But is your wardrobe ready? I just stocked up on spring and summer clothing at Quince. And let me tell you something. I feel great about everything I got. I got a couple of short sleeve button-down shirts, polo shirt, some shorts. Everything feels great. It's super high quality. And I can't believe how much stuff I got at a reasonable price. Quince has all the seasonal must-haves, like 100% European linen shirts from $30, performance polos, and versatile flow-knit activewear. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices, along with premium fabrics and finishes. Whatever you need for the spring and summer, Quince has your back. Upgrade your wardrobe. Go to quince.com slash sporkful for free shipping on your order and 365-day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash sporkful to get free shipping and 365-day returns. Quince.com slash sporkful. I just got a very wonderful shipment of goodies from the folks at Reese's. And let me tell you something. These people remain the absolute worldwide leaders in bringing together chocolate and peanut butter. Of course, we know the peanut butter cups remain transcendent. But have you tried the Reese's Sticks? Their wafers with peanut butter in between each wafer, all coated in chocolate? I mean, the combination of sweet chocolate and salty peanut butter just brings people joy, and the folks at Reese's do it better than anyone. So shop Reese's Peanut Butter Cups now at a store near you, found wherever candy is sold.
Welcome back to The Sporkful. I'm Dan Pashman. On last week's show, I traveled to Houston to meet up with Omar Yusufzai, his restaurant, The Afghan Village. Over the past year, Houston has taken in more Afghan refugees than any other American city. And this restaurant has become a place where many refugees can go for a taste of home. Omar moved to Texas in his 20s, then went back to Afghanistan to work for an American defense contractor during the war there. Military food wasn't very good, but he wasn't allowed to leave the base. So he found a workaround. Probably if my supervisor hear what I did, they will not like it. (laughs) We were not allowed, but we would still bribe the locals. And what were some of the dishes that they were bringing back? Chapli kebab was one of them. Okay. And then lamb chops is another uh, famous, they, they, they call it shinwari kebab. We had uh, kabuli palau, which is lamb cooked inside rice, some vegetables too. So the American soldiers, what were their reactions? They would literally have a dance before eating. I I remember a lot of um, military personnel from all races. I'm talking about black, Hispanics, uh, white. When I saw people liking Afghan food, that moment I decided if I come back, I'm going to try restaurants. But when he first opened his restaurant, things did not go well. Omar tells me about all of it, and I sample some fantastic chapli kebabs made by his nine-year-old son, Solomon. I also speak with a man who recently arrived from Afghanistan to hear about his experience. That episode's up now. Get it wherever you got this one. Okay, returning to true crime podcaster voice, let's get back into it. Earlier in the show, we raised the possibility that Heather had gone insane and was actually stealing food from herself. Well, to be precise... She raised the possibility when she said, quote, it all culminated with me going slightly insane. This topic comes up a lot when you talk to Heather. So I talked to her friend Kelly. Kelly says Heather is really nice, funny, sweet, a great person. They didn't know each other back when all the food stealing was happening. I asked Kelly if she had ever seen signs that Heather might be out of touch with reality. Well, we both have dogs, and I'm always feeding my dog treats, and she's always putting her dog on a diet. (laughs) and telling me that her dog's chubby and my dog is cute. And my dog is a little bit chubby, but hers is not as chubby. (laughs) So I just wonder where her little perspective of reality is sometimes. So there's that. For just a minute, let's put aside the question of whether it's psychologically possible Heather was stealing food from herself. Let's look at whether it was physically possible, like... Could she have pulled it off? Heather says it took two minutes to get from her desk to the lunchroom. Then she'd have to remove a sandwich, slice a piece off, put the rest back, and get back to her desk. That's not much time. I I, mean, I, I don't think I could even do it. If, if I go there and, like, CSI did, like, sat at a desk, did a quick run-through, did it, I don't think I could have completed the act in that time frame. Gauntlet so thrown, producer Ann Sandy and I gave it a shot. All right, we're in a corner of the WNYC newsroom, the farthest possible point from the lunchroom. Right. And that's where Heather said she sat, the farthest possible spot. Right, right. And she said she worked with about 75 people. There's about 75 people who work on this floor. Yeah, I think that's a fair estimate. So this is basically exactly the same. Right. You got the stopwatch? I have the stopwatch. Hit it. All right, we're walking to the lunchroom. Now, we got to walk briskly, like we're in a rush, but But not not too rushed. Right, we don't want to attract attention. Hey, Brooke. Hey, Dan. Nothing to see here. Hey, Dubner. Dan. Is that Lakshmi Singh? No, no. Ooh, there's a shrimp sale at the Crab Crib. 
Sometimes I think Anne isn't listening to me. All right, we're entering the lunchroom. Anne, we got to the kitchen. Check. All right, 37 seconds. Right, Took out my half a sub, sliced off a piece, <laughs> ate it, put the rest back. Then I took it out again and ate some more because it was good. Then I put it away again and raced back to where Heather would have sat. Okay, Anne, how long? All right, we are at 1 minute 59 seconds. Huh. I mean, it seems like, yeah, it could be done, but it seems far-fetched. Here's what I take away from my conversation with Kelly and the test Anne and I ran. I don't think Heather's insane. I just don't. I think her reaction to all this is pretty understandable. I've heard and seen her demonstrate normal human emotion towards me, like when she talks about the pain of losing all those sandwiches. But on all the other options, it's a toss-up. Could she have just accidentally misplaced her food over and over again? It's possible. Could she have made up the whole story just to get on this podcast? It's possible. Could all of human existence actually just be a dream in the mind of a giant space turtle? I asked my magic eight ball, and the answer was, ask again later. Back at the call center, Heather was keeping her head down and avoiding the communal fridge. Weeks went by. She hadn't moved on. She was trying to stay focused on her work. Then came the burrito. She got promoted again, and a group of supervisors took her out for lunch to celebrate. They went to a place with really big, amazing burritos. Heather ate half of hers and got the rest wrapped up. She put it in the office fridge. Before she went home for the day, she went to grab it. It was a travesty. The wrapper was just torn open. The burrito itself was mangled. And I'm saying mangled as in like a rabid dog went through it. Worst of all for Heather, only the chicken had been removed. The rest was left laying there, splayed open like a carcass on the savannah. I I haven't felt that kind of anger since like the Cubs didn't go to the series because that ball was caught by the fan. That's the type of anger I felt. But you know something? That burrito was the reason that I found out who it was. Well, I was looking at the container that had the burrito, and within the burrito was a spork. So you see the spork that wasn't there before. Right. What's your first thought? Uh, My first thought was lipstick. There was lipstick on the spork. Yeah, it was neon orange. It was a very unique color. I I knew right away. I mean, it was just like a light bulb went off in my head, and all I saw was red. I mean, the anger. And the worst part is, like, I had no run-ins with this person. I really had no idea. Like, I, I couldn't tell you anything about this person besides that they wore that lipstick. We'll call this woman Karen. That's not a real name. Heather says they hardly knew each other. They didn't work closely together. Outside of the neon orange lipstick, Karen was totally unremarkable. She blended in, although maybe that was part of her cover. And so I'm holding the box with the burrito in it, and the spork is in my hand. And, like, out of nowhere, I see Karen walk by. And she's going towards the restroom. And I I just, I lost it. Heather followed Karen into the bathroom, burrito and spork in hand. Karen was in a stall. I started banging on the door. And just like, I need to talk to you. And I remember, like, a voice very calm saying, can we talk some other time? And I was like, what the hell? 
another time? No, this is the time. This is the place. We're, we're doing this right now. Heather stood there waiting with her burrito for what felt like an eternity. I'm going to get the truth out of her. She's going to admit that she's my burrito thief. She's going to admit all the atrocities that she's done to all my food. And that's all I was thinking. And I just remember sitting there staring at that stall door like, why won't she come out? Like, hurry up. And that's when I heard, like, the crumbling sound, the crunching sound of food wrapper in the stall. She was eating in there. Wow. Yeah. And that kind of, for a second, like, broke my crazy seeing red anger. Because, like, what the hell, you know? And she finally did come out of the bathroom stall. And there was food on her shirt. Like, she was, like, brushing off crumbs on her shirt. And, well, I kept on saying, like, why? You know, why me? And I remember saying, why me? And I remember thinking, oh, my gosh, that is so, you know, ridiculous and pitiful to say that. But that's how I felt. And she just went to the sink, washed her hands, and she turned around and looked at me. And she's just very calmly said, a person who doesn't finish a personal pizza doesn't deserve to have that pizza. Oh, chills. Still to this day. For many, many minutes, we tried to contact Karen to tell her we were doing this story and in hopes that she might want to talk to us. In my 20-plus days of reporting, I've never tried harder to find anyone. Phone calls, social media, letters in English and Korean, even though I don't think Karen speaks Korean. Two private detectives, people knocking on doors in three different states. I even wrote her a note by cutting out words from magazines and taping them to a piece of paper to form sentences, then signing it in blood. You know, all the tricks you learn in journalism school. We never heard back from her. My best guess is that she wants no part of this, which I respect. As for Heather, she hasn't trusted a communal fridge since. She never reported Karen to HR. They never spoke again. It was like my private secret torture that I kept to myself. I was shameful. I didn't want other people to know. But in a way, it was almost, maybe, perhaps, it, it might have also been like her tor- torture for her. Because it's like now she has this sort of, this guillotine over her head. Like she knows that you have this incriminating oh. information on her that you're holding on to and holding on to. You know, I never thought about it that way. I was so self-absorbed at the time. I was just thinking about me, 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 like... You know, how am I going to handle this? You know, what am I thinking about this? You know, it's possible, Heather, that you had the best revenge by by never doing anything. Even to this day, you lie awake thinking about her saying, why, why? But she could lie awake thinking about you. What if she finds me on Facebook? What if we end up working in the same company or in the same town? And what if I see her on the street? What if she reports it to my current boss? Exactly, because I'm always holding the other shoe for her. That's right. All you got to do is drop it. Mind blown. Never thought about it that way. But now, now I feel like, you know, I have the upper hand. That I will drink her milkshake. Next 
Next week on the show, I talk with Asma Khan, chef and owner of the London restaurant Darjeeling Express. She didn't start cooking seriously until she was in her 40s when she started a supper club in her home. Now she staffs her kitchen with all women who don't have traditional culinary experience. And she's an outspoken advocate for women's rights. That's next week. This episode was originally produced by Ann Sandy and me with editorial help from Chris Bannon and Lital Molad. The serial theme song was composed by Nick Thorbert. This update was produced by Andres O'Hara and mixed by Jared O'Connell. Our team also includes Emma Morgenstern, Johanna Mayer, and Tracy Samuelson. Music help from Black Label Music. The Sporkful is a production of Stitcher. Our executive producers are Peter Clowney and Eric Eddings. Until next time, I'm Dan Pashman. And I'm Noni from New York City, reminding you to eat more, eat better, and eat more better. Life is a highway, and on it there will be many chicken sandwiches. But there's only one crispy so go ahead and hit the turn signal if you know about this juicy gem of a detour.